From Bella Vista Hotel, this is Two Brownish Girls, a Western Sydney-based podcast speaking of the Pacifica Australian experience. We're your hosts, Talitha and Cripps. Just a quick disclaimer and explicit content warning. Our podcast is 100% unfiltered and from our own personal views. This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of this land in which we record this podcast, the Darug people. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, hello, hello. It's just Talitha here with our April guest. Cribs unfortunately cannot make this episode, but she sends her love to everyone who's still listening to us two years on. Um, Apologise for that whole time. I'm sorry. Most of the time it's just ranting, isn't it? But yes, we're here. Our April guest is a woman of many hats who hails from the city of Darwin and is self-described in her Instagram bio as the model activist that kicks the hornet's nest. She has appeared in campaigns with Bras and Things, Suffrages, Mary Holland Lingerie, Fashion Jarena, just to name a few. She's also an independent creative director and has landed covers with Harper's Bazaar Kazakhstan and Harper's Bazaar Vietnam. We welcome the wonderful and iconic Mahalia Hanley to the Two Brownish Girls podcast and are excited to have her on the show to talk about her background, how she became a model and her experience as a plus-size Pacifica woman in the fashion world. G'day, Thank g'day. You. What an intro. Oh. That was fantastic. <laughs> Can you be there every time I do something? <laughs> I'll just announce you in when every time you go to Louis Vuitton yeah. on George Street. <laughs> just walk me in. I'll be like, it's me. <laughs> Back to spend more money. Back to because you're giving more to me than anything else I've <laughs> given. We literally, we've been here since eight o'clock, but we talked about designer bags for 25 minutes. So that's just the, I think everyone is it's aware of my energy um all the energy with fashion online but thank you for coming especially on a monday and yes i'm just happy to be (laughs) here like listening to you guys podcast i know when i first uh found out about you i was just like one after one episode after the other episode of the other episode i was like oh yes finally these are the (laughs) things that i wanted to hear and it's just you guys you don't hold back which is so great because sometimes people are like, I know we just touched on it outside of the podcast, how you have to be sometimes politically correct. But yeah, I think when you can like show your personality without even meeting someone yet and like have me like agreeing in the car and being like, yes, bitch, that was exactly right. (gasps) That means a lot. (laughs) Oh, bless. But we're so thankful to have, especially you like, Fashion is such a big part of like, I feel like a lot of people's lives and especially with our community, um, you being Pacifica, we're not really represented or anything I feel, but before I get all serious (laughs) with that and then get an emotional because the Chanel bag went up that everyone sees like every week on my Instagram story, me having a breakdown about a Chanel bag, we'll just kick it off with our general questions that we have. So... As everyone knows in the Two Brownish Girls podcast, we say ASL meaning age, social media handles and location or land that you acknowledge. Please. Age? <laughs> 29 <laughs> now. Uh, well, 29. I'll be 29 in like two months. I'm 28. Oh, I, okay. keep, I feel like I'm always like that. Like the year of, I jump ahead. I'm like, I'm 29. Yeah. Except the older I get to 30, I'm like, I'm 29. It's like, I'm still 29. <laughs> yeah just doesn't change um social media handle it's Mahalia from Australia um Mahalia Handley on Facebook not that most people are using Facebook anymore 
Uh, that's really it. I'm not on Twitter or any of the other spaces, but I think maybe I should join Twitter. I got a lot to say about things that I probably shouldn't have to comment about. Oh, Twitter is great for it. Twitter. I feel like is a blessing and a curse, but it mm. is really great to get there. And like a lot of the news comes through Twitter first before any other social media platform. Yeah. So that, that's always what I find interesting about Twitter is that you can find something out that will come probably a few weeks later on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and land we recognise probably is the Gadigal people here, but I'm also from Darwin, so that would be Larrakia Nation. Oh, great. And what motivated you to get into your industry? Oh, this, there's so many channels, but like when I think about the first motivation that happened was just purely, you know, I was growing up as we all were and I just couldn't see anyone that looked like me and, uh, as a backstory for anyone who doesn't know, my mom is Irish, um, like very Irish, burns the minute she walks into the sun. Uh, her and her family immigrated from Ireland when she was about three years old to Australia. Um, and my dad is Māori. So I grew up mixed race, but not even being able to see anybody who looked like me in the media. And if you haven't been to Darwin, there's also not a lot of options <laughs> of fashion up there. Um, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s. And that was kind of really the the big push. I was like, I cannot see anyone who looks like me. Maybe Mm. it has to be me. Uh, I have a distinct memory of walking through Big W when I was about 11 Mm. and just thinking I can do that when I would see photos of people up there and it would probably mean a lot more to me if I could see someone like me up there. Uh, And then it just progressively kind of kept going as I got older and... Uh, I never grew up with somebody who was kind of like my role model, right? Mm. The only person I could kind of see in the fashion industry was Tyra Banks. And although she is fantastic in all her forms, questionable in others. um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love you, Tyra. (laughs) Uh, You know, still seeing someone who is African-American and lives in America and hasn't got anything to do with Australia, there's still a disconnect there. So you can find someone you relate to, but they actually don't understand the same things that you grew up with. Um, So that was primarily the whole reason. And then I guess a part of of it was that I wanted to get out of my hometown and modelling seemed like the opportunity for that as well. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. I remember when we, when I was really young and, you know, we're in what, year four or something like that, putting down like the aspirational career and I really wanted to put model, but uh, I just remember being too scared to do so because there was a lot of uh, social pressures even as a kid in primary school yeah. and I put vet which probably wasn't far off. I, I do love animals. but Aww. <laughs> Shout out to your dog. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to all the animals I ever loved. Awesome. <laughs> Gosh, I love pets. I love pets. Oh, I love pets. Um, yeah, so that was primarily it. And then the more I started to get into the industry, I saw the huge lack in the representation. So it kind of just lit the fire in my belly to keep moving and pushing and um, consequently fighting with mm. the industry. And it's just been kind of like this uphill battle, but also like, I don't know, a flying motion at the same time. That doesn't really make too much sense, but it's like, it's been a battle the whole way. It still is, but there's been so much reward in seeing how it affects and changes people just for like visually being a representation in that spot, let alone having something to say. Yeah. Hmm. 
Because that's true, like, because we're not um, a few years older than you. But the representation, I do remember clearly from the 90s, was basically only Tyra and Naomi. Yeah. And you're so right. Like, I never thought that they can't, we can't relate to them actually at all. Because yeah. we're Pacific, we're Pacifica. We're from like a completely different area of the world. Yes. And even now, I feel like it's hard even to see some representation of us still. Oh, but, totally. Um, but I'm like, oh, maybe because I'm not in the industry, I don't know. But I just feel that I don't, yeah, I still don't like see the representation I think I want to see. <laughs> oh, no, 100%. Like, I've been in this industry for 11 years now. Next year will be 12, which is oh, wow. insane. Um, and earlier on, there was really only like three of us. Oh, my gosh. And there were a couple of other models prior to me that were around um, who are Torres Strait Islander, Jess Vanderlei. She's fantastic. She's been in the game for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other models who are there have eventually stopped modeling. Uh, but now, like today, right now, I mm-hmm. can at least count six or seven models that I know, which is great compared yeah. to when it used to be two or three of us. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I didn't even know that was, yeah. That's great. It's great to have the models there. It's like equally agencies' responsibilities to employ and to have models who are of Pacifica nation, like mm-hmm. or Pacifica ethnicity, to be able to show that. Um, but it's also equally responsible on designers, brands, companies and media outlets to show and employ these models or influencers as well to show a different narrative. Like I feel like Pacifica is always put into like one narrative. Yes. Um, (laughs) And it's like that's totally not true. Like we like more than eating fish and chips and just like sitting around and talking, you know, like – even though we're sitting around and talking about Even that. though we're having a <laughs> Isa having a Talanor right now. But yeah, that's yeah, that's so true. Like they I don't think they just like putting us like even though we've made a lot of like progress in a lot of ways, they're still put us we're still subjected to all these stereotypes. Mm. And especially it's so weird because in the fashion industry, I feel like our bodies like all the body types in our in the Pacifica should be celebrated. And totally. And I feel like, you know, like it's just it never is or it's like really limited. And that's why we're like so thankful to have you also like representing like plus size and curve like women or models because that's like a th- it is such a societal pressure like because we don't all look like Moana and like <laughs> they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they put that narrative. They're like, oh, you're like. I think Krub's got it once where she went to somewhere and they said, oh, your middle name's Moana. Oh, wow, like the movie. And she's like, I am older than the movie. I am like <laughs> a lot older than the movie. Like, are you serious? No hate on Moana. No, no hate on Look, we all love Moana. It was so <laughs> great to see suddenly, finally, finally. some representation <laughs> of Disney. But it's the same thing. You can't have one card to represent all. Yeah. Which is like a primarily problem in the – fashion industry is that diversity doesn't come in a pyramid scheme of whom comes first like just you know not coincidentally just to reiterate back on that you know they use a lot of plus size models and especially I know BIPOC models Mm -hmm. to do the fittings on so a fitting is just when you would come in you try the clothes on they'll fit you they'll make sure it like looks the the way you know it's the material coming up is it bunching in one side and the fit model will be like, oh, you know, X, Y, Z, this is what it feels like. And they'll fit them to BIPOC bodies, yet the people in the campaign are Caucasian. Oh and my it's like, gosh, hang I on, never how, realized how that can they you actually use my body 
and my people's body and BIPOC bodies and then not bring us the whole way through. Yeah. It makes no sense. I got a lot of quarrels with the industry. I absolutely love it. I love my job. But um, it needs a reform in many mm. ways. And I remember one interview you said that the most of the models are size six to eight in Australian fashion, but the average like Australian woman's body is like 12 to 14. The Australian average size is 14 to 16. The UK <sighs> is 16 and the US is 16. 14 to 16, which is up, I think, on our ones. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So that's a 16 to 18 Australian. This is the average body size. We're still currently working off a method that was devised in the like 40s to 60s of what sizing is because by technical fault, anyone who is over a size 10 is considered plus size. That is the technical um, measurements of plus size. And then people always go, well, I must be plus plus size. And it's like, oh, shut the fuck up. It's not oh plus gosh. plus size. It's not you. And I think there's such a negative connotation that always follows with plus size you know being plus doesn't always particularly mean that it's one way you could be like i've got huge titties that's yeah. just it i got a huge booty or like yeah. you know what actually i've got no titties but i got a big body like that's just the way it that's is literally me <laughs> <laughs> but, like that's what plus is supposed to be there for but plus yeah. got somehow attached to like fat in a negative aspect yeah like i most always walk up to people i'm like yeah i'm a i'm a big bitch i'm a fat bitch like there's no problem that i realize that i've got fat on my stomach but yeah that doesn't i need to hold in a negative spacing or lighting that's actually your self-projection of how you feel about that yeah not mine because i'm telling you the way it is and i'm okay with it by recognizing it yeah because it's so it's hard like being like plus size my whole life like pretty much it's just so hard like just you thinking like the way people stare, the way you're treated. Mm. And it's like now that you get older and I'm thankfully like surrounding myself with such great like women around me who are like very empowering and every, very encouraging and like making me feel like I belong now thanks to the podcast and all the listeners and everything. But it's like after a while you're like, wait, this is your problem. This has nothing to do with me. It's funny. Like, that's if you're offended by my body, then that's that's, that's on your you. problem. <laughs> that's literally that your, on you. Your business, your <laughs> problems got nothing to do with me. It really is. And like yeah. I think some of the worst people are the people who are like give you unsolicited doctor's advice and it's like, Oh, I I'm sorry. Are you my physician? Yeah. No, you're not. You don't know anything going on with my body. Physically, mentally, you got nothing. You got no space to sit there and offer me anything. Yeah. And a lot of um, straight size models that I know as well, they were always getting compliments when they were at their sickest. And like I say, oh sickest gosh. as in they oh. were mentally and physically sick. And that's when they were getting the compliments. And it's like, no, hey, hang on, hang on. You can't say that to one person because your presumption of healthy depends on weight. Yeah. That's not true. And your presumption of fitness depends on weight because I'm a big girl too. And I don't know if you clocked it the other day, but I pushed 195 I saw kilos that. on the sled push. Oh, said that. I saw that. Said that. I saw that. <laughs> That's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. yeah. Just because you're big doesn't mean that you aren't strong or yeah. you aren't fit or you aren't healthy. Even my like personal trainer friends say that. Mm -hmm. It's like one of my friends, shout out friend of the podcast, Harley, was saying, he said, I don't know why people don't think like – you know, when you're bigger that you don't have a fitness level. Yeah. Because 
like I told people when some people really try to give me their unsolicited advice, I said, I played a, a contact sport for 15 years of my life. I still, mm-hmm. I walk from North Sydney to like Circular Quay pretty much most of the week because that's how it's easier for me to catch the direct train home. Yeah. Like I still have a, but they just think, oh, like you should, but you should. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, you actually like, don't have anything on me unless you, you're a yeah. DEXA scan who can tell me everything. Yeah. Nothing. And it's crazy how it like it's is, a huge yeah. presumption. It's just like I I just recently got a scan because I'm training. Mm. Um and it kind of makes me think about like I don't own um a scale of weights, weight scale. Mm. I think it can be really damaging for anybody to own them. So this is a PSA. If you have one, please throw it the fuck out. Oh, Get I do have one right the door. <laughs> throw it out. Get rid of it. Because it's it's a guesstimation. It's mm. not actually telling you what your muscle grouping is. It's not telling you what your fat percentage is and it's not telling you this. Like anyone can look at me and they don't know that I'm 70% lean muscle. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Under you've made an assumption and that's it. It's self-projection. If you're self-projecting onto somebody else, you've got to deal with those things yourself because yeah. nobody else deserves to hear the back ends of your comments or the things that you haven't resolved. Be a grown-up and walk yourself to therapy. Yeah. Like, talk to your therapist about if you want to comment on other people's bodies. Because even my doctor, like, when I get blood tests, she's like, okay, your sugar, relax with your sugar, but everything is usually fine. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm bad with sugar, so. But there's also, <laughs> yeah. like, the tie-up of, um, especially in Pacifica people, like, mm. the menstrual health problems that we go through. Yeah. I, I have PCOS. I've had PCOS for a while. Um, if anyone doesn't know what PCOS is, it's polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, it's where tiny little cysts grow on my ovaries and it also affects with my hormone levels. Mm. Um, this creates an insulin resistance because of my PCOS, which mimics the same things as diabetes, but it's actually due to my reproductive system. Mm. This is, um, it continuously is a pattern within my uh, family on both sides of them. Mm. I have quite a few cousins who have it, quite a few cousins who have endo. And I feel like from my experience, I've seen a lot more Pacifica people with this and I think there's many people who've probably gone undiagnosed and people who don't realise how much their body is having that relationship to their um, reproductive health system and how much it's altering and then it starts to, like, you know, play on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, it, hasn't, it hasn't come out yet. I haven't made a public statement, but I'm more than happy to talk about it right now. <laughs> yeah, that's... Because I was misdiagnosed with PCOS when mm-hmm. I was in high school. Okay. And then when I did all my, um, when I went through scans, like in the last few years, because I had to, I changed doctors because my other doctor was, my old doctor was just being too old school and I felt like I mm. needed. And thankfully my auntie who works in medicine told me she found a really good woman's health doctor in Parramatta. And who's more natural and more like, and she, she they actually did um, internal scans with me and they said, okay so this whole time you actually haven't had any cysts on your ovaries and then I was like oh so I was taking the contraceptive pill from like 14 to 26 yeah wow (laughs) for no reason (laughs) I haven't been on contraception for nine years oh it's so good not being on it though I went off it when I was younger because I was just getting sick constantly I was getting you know the the normal one that everyone gets prescribed I had extreme um, morning sickness from for ages and then I tried to doing doing the 20 percent one like the, the half dose mm. bled for 14 weeks um got the diplo shot 
bled for 16 weeks. Like, and then after that, I was like, nah, you know what? This isn't for me. And now I really feel like when, before any woman is given any sort of birth control, they should yeah. have their hormones tested. It should be mandatory to have hormones tested. Yeah, because they tested. don't do that. They just assume, They just oh. give you a pill and they're like, yeah, jump on it. It will be fine. It's like, huh. And it's like pretty hard also in the Pacific community explaining to your parents, oh, I'm 14, I need to go on the contraceptive pill. They're like, um, for what? What, what are like you doing? To stop the blood. Like to stop the endless <laughs> to flow. To stop the flow. Because <laughs> literally, like, I remember scenarios, yeah, three months having a period, just a heavy period constantly. Mm. I should have been sponsored by Libra or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then also my mum being like, don't use tampons. No, because my mother didn't allow me to use tampons, so you can't. I'm like, oh, okay. Then I was just like, oh, this is very fun. <laughs> this is great. I love feeling it just between like, my cheeks, my legs, everything. I love everything about this situation. I've got, um, I probably, sh- oh, no. I mean, I've been using Modi Body. I don't know if anybody else has been on that. Oh, is that the underwear? Oh my God, that changed your life. I've heard, I've wanted to try that because I just. so good. I feel like pads are just annoying me now at this stage of my life. I've, as I said, I should have been sponsored by Libra at least for like. <laughs> And getting your period so early too when you have like these problems is so annoying because I got my period like year five. Yep. And I remember it was after camp and I still remember just being like so triggered. <laughs> I was just like, what the hell is this? I'm no, I'm yep. dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks. You've had problems for me since then, sis. Thanks, uterus. Wait. Shout out to you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, have you have you found like um better help now? Like with um, a new doctor or anything along those lines, if you don't mind me asking. Oh, no, of course. Um, yeah, I, I've i always kind of been okay with, like, doctors in terms of b- both my parents and my um, father's partner in health. Mm. So being able to, like, directly speak to adults when I was younger about reproductive health and sex was totally fine because it was well, quite good. a common use of language in our home. Mm. Um that kind of sounded like all three of us live together. No, my parents are separated. <laughs> Very separated. Um, so so speaking about it was fine, but it, there was a lot of misdiagnosis. Actually, the whole point of what happened was that I was diagnosed with um, cervical cancer. Misdiagnosed oh. with cervical cancer. And it was just like, uh, how, and that's how I got my diagnosis of PCOS. Because I had unusual um, cell mutations um, in Darwin. Not a lot of uh, specialists obviously come up there. So Mm. I had to wait a few months to get it seen. That was a lot of stress on my family at that point in time to be 18 and uh, just come out of school and then be diagnosed diagnosed with cervical cancer. And it was when I got in and saw the specialist, she was like, you don't have any sort of cancer. Oh, my gosh. And we ended up taking it to the health board and reporting the uh, doctor who came through because it was a personal opinion, not a pref- professional opinion. Oh my gosh! Um, and that kind of led us down the trail of what was happening. And then I, I, I stopped for about two or three years of actually really caring. Just thought this is just something I have to deal with. There's pain, like whatever. And then um, it was when codeine started to. I have to take codeine. Um, People talk about it being addictive. It is addictive in an essence, but I have to take it because the pain that I get is so intense. Um, And they started regulating it more in Australia. And I was at the doctor's and I was speaking to a doctor then, a male doctor, which I haven't always had the best experiences with, but this guy was great in Cronulla. Um, 
And he basically was like, you know, let's work out how many years of your life you're going to spend asleep because codeine obviously gets you pretty high. Um, mm. And when I am on my period, that's like three to four days that I'm just spaced out most of it just to deal with the pain of getting through. Um, and it was him who said, let's work it out. And I ended up working out that it would have been like five years of my life I would have slept away. Oh, my gosh. Or just been like two out of it. And he kind of initiated it back in to go and see the specialist and it mm. took off from then. But um, that that was more like coping and recognising that it was a real thing that I had to cope and live with. Yeah. Realistically, it wasn't until January this year that I had a, f- a whole new turn on everything and it's because my best friend uh, is just finishing her registered nursing degree. Mm. Um well done, Haley. I'm very proud of you. Shout out, Haley. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, she's got endo as well, and she kind of is going to specialize in that area. And she said to me, um, there's a lot of research coming out that being gluten free and dairy free and reducing the sugar and getting rid of caffeine actually helps to reverse some of the symptoms. Oh. Yeah, insane. And then, um, shout out Instagram algorithm for catching on that conversation and just flooded me with PCOS people. I came across across a nutritionist on there and she uh, was talking a lot about it as well, backed up the information. Um, Not that I disbelieve my best friend. (laughs) Whatever she tells me to do, I'll do. Um, She's also a beauty therapist, so I've been very lucky to have her in my life for the last 13 years of her practicing. <laughs> Get a girl who does both. I know, exactly. <laughs> wow, that's like the dream team there. That's how like obsessed <laughs> with skincare she is and how fantastic oh she gosh. is as like a beauty therapist that she wanted to go on and like further her nursing degree to yeah. know everything else. So um, if you're what in Darwin, legend. yeah, she's the person to see. But she pretty much guided me. And then uh, the research that started showing up was like, so many people were having so much effects and doctors were just like kind of rolling their eyes at this idea. Um, it's been three months now. I've been off gluten and I've been off um, dairy as much as I can. It's so hard to try and get yeah. rid of it. Um, just in like buying products, you have to be so careful. Because like a lot of products like oh, I say might contain milk or yeah. little things like that. Well, it's like milk powder and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like being a forced vegan who still eats meat. Like it's yeah. that's kind of what it's like. Um Giving up coffee was hard. Yeah, hard. that would be... Giving up sugar was hard. This was the first Easter I went through without any chocolate. So, <gasps> And then, like, the dairy-free chocolate's, like, $10 plus an organ. Like, so expensive. That's what... Yeah, that's what I also, like... Because I've heard of this, too. Like, a lot of, like, people I know who do have PCOS endo, that when they've changed their diet, mm. and there's a lot of, like... So expensive. Yeah, like that's the problem. Like it's working well, but it's so expensive, especially here. Like anything organic is pretty much like your soul. It's ridiculous. Plus yeah. You're like, I, I mean, <laughs> now we see how they're controlling the market, right? Like <laughs> sell things at a cheaper price, drive people away from the healthy thing. Go and get McDonald's. Like, yeah. yeah. Increase it um, and then increase the things that are actually going to help. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when you look at the system that way and just kind of like analyze the control that they have over us. And then um, I guess it's about making conscious decisions about how we're going to change that ourselves. Yeah. But if if you're suffering from anything like, oh, my God, change, just try it. Try three months. um, Get onto a product called Regulate as well. It's just like for um, helping your gut kind of like get a, get rid mm. of all the things that all the gluten products that you had up in there yeah um gluten can sit into your 
that for like six months. It's wild. Oh, wow. Oh, um, I oh could get gosh. into the details of what happens, but um, <laughs> it, it will just honestly change everything. The inflammation will come down. I used to like always think that because you finish eating, right? And people go, oh, I feel a bit sick. And you're like, me too. But I was like sick. Like I wanted to vomit. I felt yeah. like I'd kind of rolled around in butter or something like that. Like it yeah. was an odd feeling. And because people would confirm that and saying, oh, that, yeah, I felt that way too. But they were just full. <laughs> oh my gosh. They don't feel the same way anybody who has endo or PCOS does because yeah. we feel physically sick. Um, and that kind of just like, it changes your life. I don't feel so bloated. Um, I have more energy. I don't need to sleep as much as I was processing food. Um, and then the big kicker on top of that is the way that anyone with PCOS, I'm not too sure about endo, but mm. the way you exercise is really specific. And oh, really? I didn't, I never knew that. Either did I. And I am, um, I've recently been diagnosed with something called BDD, which is body dysmorphic disorder. Mm. Um, this this episode is probably going to come out just before I get to mention it on my public platform. So <laughs> congratulations for hearing it here first. <laughs> um, and it just basically means I have a disordered way of eating and I also have um, dysmorphia within my own recognition of my body. But this is an issue towards the fashion industry uh, BGD is also a break off of OCD as well. So it's compulsive oh, thoughts about my that. body. Yeah. Um, it is kind it's like commonly known to be associated with e associated with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. It's not um in like the textbook of being it. The breakdown is from OCD. My point of mentioning this is that I was being very tight with what I was eating. Mm. Um and I was making sure I'll have a sandwich for lunch and then I'll have, um, you know, a piece of toast in the breakfast with some eggs and spinach and all this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and then the training issue that comes on with that is that anyone with PCOS, if you are training um, in anything with high-intensity interval training, you'll drain your adrenal uh, glands. Oh. You will get insomnia, which we get. Oh, my gosh, I do get – oh, I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> because your body is so stressed out already from everything that it's dealing with. Yeah. Um, and so what I was doing was doing hit classes. I, I was a boxer for two years. I did Krav Maga for three years prior Ooh, to that. I was going to do Krav Maga. Oh, it's so yeah. good. It kind of feels powerful to, to, to be like, I could beat two of you at the same time. Yeah, that's what in. I want to do. When the world ends, I want to be able to fight like 10 men. <laughs> Just, that's why I want fitness. Not for the Chanel suit, but for that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe for both. I don't know. Bragging rights. <laughs> um, but it's, it's such a huge thing. So when I started to break down my BDD and I've been in therapy for the last year, I got diagnosed in December um, and we've been kind of working through it. Mm. The real breakthrough was when I was able to talk to my best friend and she told me about all the PCOS stuff and realizing like the correlation that sat yeah. in there. I was being restrictive with my food, which is disordered eating mm -hmm. Um and then on top of that, every time I tried to exercise, I wouldn't lose any weight because my body can't exercise like that because anyone with PCOS cannot exercise the same way with HIIT workouts, high-intensity training. You can't go for a run. You have to do slow-weighted workouts. Oh, so you actually have to do, like, weights and, like, walking and, like... Walking, like, running. Look, if you were already a runner, you might be okay with it, but you don't. You shouldn't be really running. Long oh, walks. No. For sure. Yeah. Slow-weighted workouts, for sure. Um, 
you know, it's been eight weeks that I've been training with my trainer in this new way of understanding how my body needs to work. Yeah. Um, and fantastic to like come across her as well. She's also got PCOS. She specializes in the training. Rochelle, shout out to Rochelle. Shout out Rochelle <laughs> to be a trainer with PCOS because and a educating lot of and training women girls. would want to know that. Yeah, because I I feel like P, um, PCOS and end especially end um, endometriosis is it that's the correct endometriosis endometriosis. <laughs> I've had like a fair amount of friends like um one of my friends in Scotland and then one of my friends here they have it and like the awareness is always like even sharing those posts on Instagram sometimes they're blocked yeah from sharing um like and. When they were explaining it to me, I was like, how can something for health, like even from doctors who specialize in it, is like stopped on the Instagram algorithms and I don't understand. Yeah, or like, you're shadow banned from sharing that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, like, and wow. so how are people, like how are we meant to help like fix our, do they just want us in a constant state of stress, like with our body image? I feel like that's- I mean, I pa- mean, probably that's, yeah. This is the patriarchy that we live in, yeah, not the matriarchy. Is- that's the uh, I think I've answered my own complaint. Like it's like just a constant here, just put pictures of Kylie Jenner and just yeah. Yeah. Why don't you look like her? Yeah. <laughs> why don't you just try hard enough? And yeah. that was it. It's like, why aren't you trying hard enough? And then like with BDD, personally, my experience, it was like, hang on, I am trying hard enough. I'm like restricting all of my food. I'm doing everything that I can. Mm. I'm working out like two hours a day at really high intensity training. I'm so fucking tired yeah. on top of everything. And then the mental beration comes on and we attack ourselves. And, yeah. you know, the mental attack comes from a lot of stimuli that we get um, in media, not just the fashion industry. I think, um, the t- you know, TV in Australia, yeah. in fact, TV, television has a lot to do with it too. Um, but personally for myself, like berating and not knowing – that the foods that I was eating was causing problems and inflammation and the way I was exercising was completely wrong. Mm. Um, plus the external OCD and the fashion industry created, you know, a problem for me because I wasn't like this until I came back to Australia. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really kind of hard to wrap my hand around. Um, but this is something that I'm, I'm going to be speaking more about in the public because I think it's really important for yeah. Um, not just women, men suffer from BDD as well. They almost mm. suffer more than women. Um, and it's called um, uh, body muscle dysmorphia. Oh, okay. Um, which I won't comment on because I don't have the right to comment on it. I don't have that. I have BDD. But there is a huge correlation and I think it's really rampant in the Pacifica community because we are not given the education nor are we put in the presence of being that um, aspiring person. Um, or are we are put in like just being fashionable and yeah. I think like the, the body positivity movement has its flaws now you know I see a lot of people posting up photos where they're like just tell your body to love it and it's so triggering to me because I'm like mm. um no I can't <laughs> I can't yeah. just tell my body to love it I compulsively tell it that I hate it um and that's it triggers me to be like oh no 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 hang on wait 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 a lot of people are dealing with mental health issues or just literal issues about themselves. And yeah. sometimes when we see, and I'm guilty of it, I used to do it, I take full accountability on the problems that I was causing unknowingly. Yeah. Um, with saying comments like that, like you have to be, we have to be careful or at least yeah. just be like considerate that some people can't just tell their bodies to do something. And it's really triggering when we state that. I relate to that so much, like my whole life, it's been like that. Mm. And 
I like I love that people are body positive with their bodies, but it's 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 easy for someone who's body positive with their body to tell a friend who's also plus size, why don't you just love your body? Like, don't worry, like you be you and everything. But they don't realize the mental. There is like a lot of you know mental like pain and anguish mm. that and goes it's into been years of it. Yeah, like since like since childhood, definitely like since childhood, like. My mother didn't help. My late mother didn't help in a lot of those scenarios um, with my weight and everything. So it's such a triggering thing for me to be told, like, anything along those lines. And that's something I know that I do need to work on in therapy because I don't want to push hate on the body positive movement. But it's just that I think people should, like, even complimenting someone saying, oh, my gosh, you look so good. You've lost so much weight. Yes. Like, you don't know if someone's sick. You don't know. And that's, I never thought of that until someone brought that up to me, like, a few years ago. And I never, like, when you could say to a friend, oh, yeah, like, you look so good. You've lost so much weight. And they're like, I'm actually sick. And you're like, oh, or like. I've had the flu or, like, worms. Yeah. And And you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) I think, like, a way of breaking that, if Mm. anyone's, like, curious to be like oh hang on how do I change my actions just like literally give someone a compliment because you're like wow mm. you look great in that dress mm. because I do look great in it or like oh you look so great or like you smell fantastic or yeah whatever like it doesn't have to be primarily focused on appearances and I know it's a contradiction like being a model to say that and mm. something I felt a lot with the body positivity movement and B- BDD and like playing a part in that for years is that yeah I never I never, and still to now, I never ever want a woman to feel the way that I'm feeling. Somehow, mm. though, I let it sneak up and catch up on me. Um, I want everybody to feel confident in their bodies, but in their own way. For me, feeling confident in my body isn't like, I feel like we're barraged with, oh, wear a face mask, you know, go and have a bath and a bubble bath. Self-care, go to a spa day. So much better. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, have a bath, light the candles that you like. But do that so frequent that it doesn't feel like a treat. Yeah. And well, that's so a good point because yeah. we do it always as a treat. Like as, a it's a nice treat for like, but you know, do it every single day for yourself so that you're not giving yourself treats to make yourself feel better. Yeah. And if we want to talk about body positivity, let's start talking about therapy. <laughs> and oh my going gosh. To therapy to help you with those problems. Yeah. And recognizing it and then. Not putting your shit onto other people. There's actually a trend and like my friend in the UK and I were talking about it this week on our WhatsApp voice message trail. Shout out Tilly. (laughs) Um, And we were just saying how we really dislike, there's a Twitter trend where someone will say something or men will do this instead of going to therapy. And for me, who needs a lot of therapy, like for my whole life, like (laughs) I feel like this is so triggering to me because I feel like this it's it's people make it sound like going to therapy is so easy like oh yeah you can you're so hard and depressed like go to therapy and it's like well firstly you have to go to a doctor and you have to get referred and then even matching with a psychologist or a psychiatrist is so hard yeah it's like really really hard Mm -hmm. harder than people think and also the costs also is involved like even if you do get the medicare rebate it's still expensive it's still like what the average 150 dollars plus for 50 minutes Mm -hmm. and you don't know if you're going to gel with that person too as well yeah so i that trend is like oh please can it die like please stop (laughs) because everyone needs therapy it's not just men it's just i think everyone Everyone because that's the thing too i've found like i've been going on and off to therapy since i was 20 but i literally delayed it and which made my like mild depression and severe anxiety suffer Mm -hmm. because 
my first psychologist, her advice to me was in 2010 was, oh, just wax your eyebrows and tell the boy that you like that you like him. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to solve my depression, yeah, Sue. That will solve the problem, you. but not. That's, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> great. I told you I was in between waxes, firstly. <laughs> I told you I was in between waxes. <laughs> uh, but that's like, that's a thing, a big thing to touch on is like, yeah, like the self-care. I've We always think, I always think even me, myself, my self-care is like shopping or doing something like a spa day or going to get like microdermabrasion. Oh, but then I never thought, I okay. I love a spa day. I do love microdermabrasion too. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm like, wait, now I should be, I realise I've spent so much money on other things when I could be spending money on therapy. But that's me. I'm not telling everyone to go and spend their money on a therapist but just just um just another shout back out to my therapist he <laughs> is fully on the medicare plan so he is technically free with the government helping um oh, you up. get 20 free sessions that's good the they, they do now. did increase that last year oh that's really so good. great yeah because especially after last year i <laughs> i actually went to and this is the thing with therapy too i actually went to him because i had a very close friend of mine pass away and i just was not coping well um there was a lot of narcotics abuse within that because I wasn't able to process my feelings, mm. <laughs> which is what therapists help you do. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of my friends were encouraging me to go and seek help because I wasn't wasn't coping. Yeah. Um, I just lucked out and walked into the session with James and everything was fantastic. But I had seen psychologists prior to that for um, a DV relationship that I was in and they weren't that great yeah so I, I, I get it it is hit and miss I feel hit and miss but yeah. um, when you find a good one I think it's always like you word of mouth yeah. you stick with them yeah because that's a problem like when those tweets like real actually really trigger me every time someone makes a joke of it because I'm like it's really hard to find a fucking psychologist yeah then like and even when I was in like I was had my full like St. John of God Bearwood psych ward stint mm -hmm. that they said okay you need to come back to this psychiatrist every month and the psychiatrist would only talk to me for like 10 to 15 minutes and still charge me 250 dollars mm. and i'm like mm. i'm like i love this for you i love that like this is your salary and yeah. i get it but could have i a feel like and fix my problems <laughs> we could have just spoke for an hour like 45 minutes longer yeah. just 45 minutes longer <laughs> just the whole time that i like paid you for that would i was been like great. that would have been great and he's like oh yeah yeah that's good that's good your antidepressant's good okay bye done i'm like oh okay okay that's great that's also so that's great. it like i had a friend who just recently separated in a relationship mm. And they just put her straight in, they gave her a script straight away for antidepressants. It's like, <laughs> no, that's not dealing with the problem. Like, I understand the medical um, reliance that there is, but yeah. I think, uh, and that's in the throwback to, to what I was saying about making sure, like, you find the right person. Yeah. And going there specifically, I wasn't going there for BDD. I was going there because I wasn't handling my issues. Yeah. But going to therapy, like... You don't need to go there just because something significant happened. Yeah, like the like a death of somebody or yeah, um, a traumatic event. You should you can, you can go just to talk to someone. Just to talk to someone would be like I keep having thoughts about this thing or I feel like maybe I'm doing stuff here. Yeah, um, go. You don't yeah. need to go because something traumatic had happened. Yeah, just go because the small things are happening. Sometimes it's literally just having a third person to bounce off who has no opinion or judgment. Yeah. Because it's not, not that we want to, like, it's, 
you sometimes you feel like a burden to your friends and family if you complain about stuff. I know I'm like that. I have a really problem regulating my feelings. All my friends and family listen to this are probably like, yeah, that's we, we know. <laughs> um, and um, like it's, it is something that I do want to take seriously this year and that was like one of the main things that I wanted to do and I'm trying a new psychologist like in May so I'm excited about that Mm -hmm. but yeah that was a really good first part of the episode we're just (laughs) (laughs) so again like I'll reiterate that you know it's good to we're not professionals. <laughs> We're just talking about our experiences, which we usually say on the Two Brownish Girls podcast. But if you should consider like anything along the lines of therapy or even with PCOS and endo, it's like I would definitely consult a doctor. And also in my own experience, I find that if you go to the – like sometimes it's better to get a second opinion from a, sec- a, me- totally. a, a doctor because I found like the difference, like my casual misdiagnosis of PCOS um, – <laughs> That would really help. But we will be back in the second half of the episode with more talks and more on the fashion industry. Um, can I just add on to that as mm-hmm. well? Uh, with B- with BDD, if you do think you may be suffering with an eating disorder, the Butterfly Foundation is a great uh, oh, okay. outreach to talk to. They have counsellors. And uh, if you just feel like maybe you, you may be or you don't know, reach out to them. They're so supportive. That's what they're there for. And they're there to help and educate that's great. We'll actually, what I'll do, I'll take all these notes down and then put it in the show notes. So yeah, then cool. there's all links and I'll also put it in our link tree. Perfect. Because I feel like we need, like a lot of people don't know resources that are out there. Mm. And I think that's the hardest part is that you're like, oh, okay, then I'll just deal with this and cry to Drake later or something. <laughs> yeah. Not Drake. He's always annoying sometimes, but he always has the emotional bangers. <laughs> but we'll be back with the second part of the episode. Yo, it's Cribs here. For all our intense 2BG listeners, Two Brownish Girls is on Patreon, a membership platform we've launched to allow our listeners to get exclusive access to some great perks like bonus episodes, early access and giveaways. Keep listening to find out more. And we're back for part two of our Mahalia Hanley (laughs) interview. We know how we feel about Pacifica names getting incorrectly pronounced. So that's, yes, everything needs to be pronounced correctly. I actually do a thing. Do you do a thing when you ignore people when they mispronounce your name? Because I do that now. I never did before. And I'm just like. It depends. It depends if like how long I'm going to be in the presence Mm. of them. If it's honestly like someone calling my name for like a a juice order or something. I really couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, But if they're going to be on set with me all day, like make a matter of like recorrecting them constantly yeah um i'm also like you know i'm i'm the gang that like could never go and get like a coffee mug with my name on it i know so if you can't pronounce my name properly i'm gonna make you pronounce it properly fuck i feel that i'm so annoyed like (laughs) every like coca-cola cans all that bullshit i know just a keychain just something something i want just once in my life with my ethnic name (laughs) Just, just give me that it was why actually i put my Instagram handle like that when I was in England and living in London um no one could kind of get it and I'd be like okay say Australia yeah and they'd say it and I'd say okay now say Mahalia Mahalia from Australia and then it worked so well that I was like you know what that's gonna be my Instagram name I kind of regret not just keeping like the full Mahalia now because there's obviously the singer Mahalia who scored that first type in (laughs) in instagram but i feel like people know who i am when they're like oh that's right it's my Haley from australia that australian model Haley from australia 
That's like a almost a rap lyric or almost. <laughs> just wait for the merch. Just wait. <laughs> just wait for the mixtape. Just wait. <laughs> so we've got like the main thing that I um, wanted to point out, which is a really great like statement that you made in the Nine Honey interview that you did four months ago. And in regards to a lot of us plus size people would have felt this. It's when we're called confident or courageous or brave for basically just existing that's the vibe i get and the energy when people say this to me and your quote was it shouldn't be courageous to be out there being visible she explains over the phone pointing out that fat women are often called brave for loving their bodies it's just a body mine is like anyone else's body but people want to tear apart my body (laughs) being like politically open about your body people feel like it's it's up to them to be able to like right wrongs of however they feel Mm. what I've done doesn't fit with their narrative yeah that's it it's other people's narratives on top of their self-projection it's got nothing to do with me um I don't I don't owe anything to them to be physically there exactly we don't owe anything to anybody to be physically there and you don't have the right to dictate my body yeah. or my presence in an area because it doesn't fit your narrative. Yeah. Anybody who finds um, community or uh, anybody who finds correlation and what's the right word that I can use here? Um. <laughs> <laughs> but anybody who finds value in what I'm doing because it speaks to them. Yeah. That's what I'm there for as well. Yeah. I'm I'm there for myself. I'm not going to lie and say I'm just here for other people. I'm there yeah. for myself. I got dreams and aspirations and things I've always you wanted reach, to do. Yeah. But I also understand how being visibly present what that means to other people and being in that space if you can find something that you relate to me in, yeah. then I hope that gives you power. And you mentioned a great thing before um that you can actually block certain words on Instagram. Yes, we were talking about yeah. this before. Um, so if you aren't aware on Instagram, you can curate your space to block particular words if you go into the settings. Um, just as what, just the same way you can block other people and honestly block people. I know some people yeah. are like, mm, don't block people, block them. If they're being discriminatory or they're just saying nasty things, just block them. Who cares? You're in a piece, you know? Yeah. But you can alter and um, make sure that words are taken out that can't be used in comments and stuff like that. And I have it done. It's it's my space. I get to curate it the way I want. And yeah. I don't want to see comments that could affect my mental health or be so continuous in the berating that I start to believe it's real. Yeah. And that's where it is. And um, I also don't want any of the people coming into my space, any of my followers, um, friends, family, everybody – to see that they don't need to go onto yet another space of another person that shares the same um, values and also tribulations as them and yeah. see it be happening and again no fucking way it's not going to happen yeah um and if you've got a problem with it this isn't an airport just exit i don't need <laughs> to hear you going um off you go and a lot of people I feel like are keyboard warriors because like, you know, mm. a lot of people have a, like their online presence going off, yelling, abusing people. But then you meet some of these people online and the energy is not the same and they're scared. And it's just like, mm. um, like you know, I, cu- I curated like a conversation with some influencers at 
We Are the Mainstream's like International Women's Day event like a few weeks ago, and Big Bad AJ, which is the first, she's a First Nations woman from um, she's from Sydney, and she was saying that a lot of the time, you know, deep down, that the person who's commenting hate on your profile is not going to say that to you in real life. No, because they know what would happen, yes. <laughs> like in person, if someone <laughs> said something racist to me, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, and all my, a lot of my Palangi friends are always like no, but, you know, you should fight this, like, with peace and, like, walk away. And I'm like, it's easy for you to say you're not getting racially discriminated. Yeah. You don't have the microaggressions every single day. Yeah. Like, it's easy for you to say the peace option when you don't have people saying, oh, that's so great. Like, you speak such good English. Of course I do. My country was nearly colonised for 100 years by the British. (laughs) We learned Oxford English there. I wasn't born there, but my parents and grandparents and their ancestors have to learn Oxford English. So... (laughs) That's the energy. That's why I can speak English. <laughs> yeah, I speak better English because I'm being forced. I've yeah. actually lost my language. Literally. And people, like, just commentary like that. Like, you know that real, like, in this day and age, no one's going to sit down and just take the racism that they're getting anymore. Like, we're over it. Yeah. Like, BLM really was like, no, fuck it. We've had enough. Yeah. Because we have had enough. Like, But it was, it was like having a collective group behind you that was like, you know what, if yeah. you've had enough, we've had enough with you too. Like, yeah. we're not pulling it up. I, like, I get in between with comments right on Instagram because I don't allow it. I don't allow any sort of negative space or discriminatory space um, to not just myself but mm. also to the LGBTQI community and yes. huge allies for them as well. Um, if you're going to come on and spill some hate, mm. prepare to get blocked. Yeah. That's it. And – um. <laughs> I was going through a period there where I was getting so many unsolicited dick pics. It was like <laughs> far out. It was just when they're laughing out of awkwardness. Why? Yeah. Why? And I put up a warning. I said, if one more person sends me it, I'm going to shame you on the front here because you deserve to be shamed. I didn't ask for this, and just yeah. because I'm present on the internet doesn't mean I'm your dating service. Yeah. Because I said, hey, what guys? What languages do you guys speak? Because I'm actually interested in what my followers languages they speak yeah doesn't mean i've asked you out on a date or to send me an unsolicited literally commentary um you'll get blocked and i i put that out i'll block you and i'll shame you i really don't care in that sort of confrontational part i'll skip right into confrontation when it comes like that yeah someone i admire a lot on um instagram is rain dove they are just able to completely speak to people who are in that unjust moment yeah. and draw out like the pain that they're sitting in. And I try to think about that a lot too, um, especially when I have people message me um, or DM me or comment. If it is, if they've taken a time to comment and maybe it's that way, I need to kind of maybe take that time as well to speak to them. Mm. Um, I think that's what a form of activism is. If you're going to speak about causes that mean something to you, we have to take the time to be able to help people get through that. And I hate cancel culture. I absolutely hate it um, because I think it it limits people from changing behaviour. Mm. We want people to understand why their actions, especially when their racist actions, are problematic. And when we immediately get to, well, you should have known better and X, Y, Z and on them, it doesn't allow them to change. Um, it doesn't allow them to learn. And I know there's the responsibility of people making these thus comments to be alert to what the um, social economy is at that time. Mm. And it's their responsibility to not always ask their brown friends, well, why can't I say this? Do some research yourself. 
Like we can't even say the N-word. How many times do we have to yeah. tell you? A lot of friends say that to me. I'm like, you know I'm Pacific Islander, right? Like yeah. I'm on literally. I, I still can't say that word. I can't I say, say that, that word. word. So. Um, just like someone uh, with the word queer, you know, it was taken and used back in their own way. The same mm. way with POC. Mm. Um, you know, that was a reiteration of the word because you should be called coloured people. Mm. And uh, a committee in New York actually came out that was a, a fair ratio of people and altered the word to make it people of colour um, to humanise the word and to show that it's not like it's just taking the word back really. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I like kind of agree with your other friends in that way in the essence that you we do have to be submissive like to understanding like sometimes people make comments because people hurt and mm. we know that. But also if you're that person – Come and say it to my face. Yeah, they won't because they know what happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you can't say it to someone's face, don't say it. Yeah. And if you, can, it's a big thing that I live by too. If I talk shit about anybody else, I'll say it to your face as well. Yeah. That's a primary value. If I'm going to say something behind when you're not there, I'll say it to you in your face as well because yeah. that's the way it should be. And my hostile energy is not just because I'm a five foot eleven Pacifica girl. Because <laughs> I'm from Western Sydney. That's literally all my hostility is from my Westie upbringing. <laughs> so that's why. I've Are got you the older sibling too? No, I'm the youngest. Oh, okay. I'm a chaotic liberan. <laughs> chaotic liberan. And I grew up in Parramatta and Penrith. So what do you expect? You can't expect any more from me than ready to punch on <laughs> if you're going to be racist to me. But anyway, before I lose my job for that commentary. <laughs> um... <laughs> My, they don't know that. I, I don't think they know I have a podcast. I don't think some people, but anyway. <laughs> Hi, welcome. If you like, just oh, realised today. just realised that, like, talking about that, like, you know, having that awareness, especially with BLM and even with this country's continuous issues with, like, not supporting or not recognising anything with the Indigenous mm-hmm. community is that I saw in July 2020, like, you collaborated with Marie Claire Australia for NAIDOC Week to help as an ally to amplify Indigenous voices in Australia. And how was your experience? Because, I mean, you did – you have mentioned before that you did grow up in Darwin, so you've had, like, a really close-hand experience growing up with First Nations in comparison to probably most other cities in Australia, I'd say, especially Sydney. Yeah, I mean, we learnt a lot more about it in schools and I guess just, like – the surroundings in Darwin as well, especially in camp. Like one time in year nine, they took us out on a three-day trek and we had to learn how to like make sure that we could um, read the land and read the trackings and, you know, know how to know where north, south and west is by looking at plants and things like that. So invaluable things that you just don't learn anywhere else. And I'm so grateful that I grew up in Darwin um, now, not as a teenager. I definitely (laughs) didn't see the value in it. Um, but when I did everything with Marie Claire, and I absolutely love the team over at Marie Claire, they have been making some huge um, groundbreaking moments for us in fashion. You know, they were the first ones to have three Aboriginal um, representations on the cover. Like, it should have happened earlier. We all know that. But I'm thankful that they were like, you know what, time to change. Yeah. We're altering let's do it and they championed that um, before the BLM movement kind of happened and it's also really sad that through tragedy is how we've gotten here but yeah um, through you know this experience that happened to at least this one moment where I recognize it's happening so many times um, consistently and it's such a systematic problem we've been able to have so much change 
come from yeah. that. In my form with working with Marie Claire, I knew I had the relationship with them. Um, I knew a lot of people and a lot of uh, companies and brands, especially who are First Nations, who didn't have the spotlight that they should have had. And I thought, hey, look, it's actually Natoc ne- Week next week. Mm. Why don't I use myself as the bridge? And I think it's something that anybody with a platform can do. You yeah. know, use yourself as the physical bridge to bring those people together. Um because all we can kind of do is give kindness out. And especially with First Nations, and you would understand this, um, being Indigenous, I can only recognise their Indigenous um, bloodlines as well. Mm. And when I see it in turmoil, should the cards have been reversed, I would only ask them to stand with me as well. So it's our responsibility as Indigenous people to stand with them and to support them. Yeah. So um, in that essence, it was like, I'm going to reach out to everybody they can, see if we can get them a spotlight on Marie Claire. Like, what a fantastic audience for them to be able to get to. Um, and I try and use any sort of position that I can be in um, yeah. to kind of help aid that, even if it's uh, the other group that I work with uh, overseas. You know, it, it might just be that I know how to make documents really well and I can kind of create those documents for them, for them to go and then lead the platform yeah. um, for fighting for black models and the representation and... The, re- uh, the responsibility that they are owed in the fashion industry in America. So anyone with a platform has the ability to do so. Um, use yourself as the physical bridge. Yeah. That's such a great point because I feel like, you know, we are both respective, like, First Nations of our own mother countries. And, um, you know, I can still go back to my mother country. Like, f- I can still go back to Fiji and be on my ancestral land that we own still that we've had for thousands of years, but they don't even have that opportunity in here, in their own land. Then that's what I think. I know it's like a lot, there's a lot of controversy when like some of our fellow Pacifica don't understand um, like the first nations issues that are occurring in Australia. Mm -hmm. But I think not to put it like, not to silence them or put it in your perspective, but you have to think of that. Like most of us who are indigenous Pacifica, we still have our land, and everything we can still go back to our mother country our ancestral ties everything is still there our family is still there and their land is still their land so we're still on the land of our ancestors that we are only with us in spirit and that we don't see physically i mean it'll be scary to see some ancestors (laughs) from back in the day like uh, they'll be like clean your room in like my ancient dialect (laughs) or something but um we still have that bond with the land because it's still mm. our land. Like I can still go to Fiji and I feel my like I can still go where my ancestors walked and it's still Fijian land, but it's okay land. But and you know, they, well, they don't have it here and it's disgusting because they are the oldest civilization. The the, the oldest. oldest like people don't understand that colonization is really only like two hundred years old, right? Yeah. But <laughs> Aboriginal history is sixty thousand years old that's that's incredible yeah and there's even like history dating back where like the ancient egyptians and the ancient aboriginal indigenous would correspond and share knowledge together this is something i'm learning in my um bachelor's degree at the moment oh wow i didn't know that that's oh it's fascinating and it's like okay so how can i like anyone who is indigenous and isn't um of first nations here how can we ask for our needs and our tribulations to be recognised when we aren't standing with the tribulations mm. and problems that the First Nations people on Australia yeah. have to deal with. Um, I would say it's our duty to stand with yeah. them um, because that's it. If the, if the roles were reversed, I'd only be asking the same. Yeah. Um, 
and primarily it's a problem here in um, Australian fashion. You know, we should have more representation. Mm. We're built on Indigenous land. We are surrounded by countries with Indigenous peoples as well. We could be the leading sword in showing how inclusion and diversity works. Yeah. Um, yet we're kind of failing. I have a quarrel with the Australian fashion industry in that essence. We we have everything here. We bank on the fact that we're multiculturalism yeah. is huge and our marketing profitability. Um, why isn't it in the media more? And that's not to shun a lot of companies that have been doing really well, like the iconic, they've been powering diversity for a very mm. long time. Um, I am starting to see a few more companies pick up, which is fantastic. In the last two years, there has been a lot of change, but um, there should be more. There should be a lot more. And I would love to see more Indigenous models at the forefront and also more like Indigenous people. Maybe if you want to be, and this is not just First Nations, but anyone who has ethnic um, bloodlines, if you wanted to be in that realm, step up to it because we can't yeah. have that representation until you decide that you can own that space. Because we were talking about before, because you know you've worked. I mean, you would know this since you've done <laughs> it. Um, you have been a creative director with like Harper's Bazaar overseas with Kazakhstan and Vietnam, and you would, do you feel like overseas fashion are more into diversity? like they're more diverse than Australian fashion, like Australian fashion magazines and everything? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super quick with that answer. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, we're getting there. But I did. I, when I lived in London, I didn't even have to think about it. My BDD didn't even kick in until I moved back to Australia after living abroad for three years. Um, because of the lack of representation that we have here, you know, it's hard because being in the industry is my bread and butter and I love it. I love my job so much. I love getting to create and mm. be a different person and a character. But I don't know if I'm going to like segregate myself here. It shouldn't just be me up there. There should be such a plat like a plethora yeah. of people to be able to come through. Um, and that's why I'm like always whenever I see talent on Instagram that I think could do it and obviously want to. I never want to leave someone, lead someone down the modelling route unless they actually want to. Um, is that I'll support them and I'll reach out to agencies or I'll speak to them or any upcoming models. I always take their advice because we need more representation and eventually when I leave there should be yeah. so many more people. The more people we have, the more ability we have to creating jobs – um, and it's not just the media representation as well. Internal representation is like so key to this. Um, without businesses having a diverse team, we can't have diverse ideas. We can't have input that could have, you know, without the diverse team's input, they might not have been found. We've seen this in things like when H&M released that banana T-shirt. Mm. in south africa do you know what i'm referencing um i think i remember it but not clearly Can they you they made a children's t-shirt with a banana i oh, think didn't they use the model as a, a young african boy yeah <sighs> you know i that's because yeah. there was probably no there was no black person on that actual yeah board because that yeah, has I to get that. go through quite a few channels do you know what i mean to get approved there's obviously no one in there and that's why having internal teams <sighs> with representation is yeah. so important because I guarantee you if there was a black woman or a black man on there, they would have said, you can't do that. You cannot, yeah. That's 
this is why it's important of having um, internal and external representation, not just for like the way we make people feel, <laughs> which companies are responsible for, but also like for profitability. You want to make money as a business. You want to service an audience, service the audience, especially like also with size. I know we talked about it mm. um, briefly outside, but please start stocking like over a 14 and a 16 on stores. Yeah, like and friends, like if you tell me, like I've had a lot of friends say, stop using fast fashion. If there wasn't, if there was sustainable and affordable plus size fashion, you best believe a lot of us would be using it. But so far, ASOS Curve is my girl. So, <laughs> and has been since 2011. Well, so just think of that. The Australian fashion industry is actually a $41 million untapped industry. <sighs> 41 mil. That's insane, right? Why? <laughs> it's just unfathomable to me that companies are cutting out a partial part of their audience. Yeah. You don't want to make like, I don't know, 10 mil in that 41 mil. Yeah. You don't want to make 41 mil in that because of pre a preconceived idea. Who are you catering to? The average yeah. size Australian woman is a 14 to 16. Exactly. What, what deal? Whom? It makes... And we're not shaming... We're not shaming the... Un the under 10 runway size models. No, but they're not. They've always had the ability to shop. Mm. There's always been that accessibility. Yeah. It's not shame in that way. It's asking for more resources and, and more opportunity. Accessibility for us. And like not doing things like a fat tax, which is when people put like $10 more on an outfit because it's in a size 20. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to get away with that. Like consult with people who can help elevate your brand, yeah. make sure it fits plus size bodies. Speak to First Nations or Indigenous people. Hire me. I'm a consultant. I yes. help businesses. Uh, she has a business school degree. <laughs> <laughs> this is a um, vocal LinkedIn. I'm carrying through with my bachelor's. Like, help me help you. Um, find ways to actually make that change and don't be performative with it. Because once you access that audience and you can actually keep them um, on a business, like, it's a business fact. You will make money. <laughs> Do you think Australia is ready for a model agency that represents Pacifica and First Nations only? Oh, totally. Totally we're in here. I know there is a great agency called Rin Models, um, but they're based in Adelaide, I think. Okay. Um, they are growing there, but sure, I would absolutely love it if we had like just an agency here. Um, but I would like to see it in all agencies and I really would – um, what's because even I when I was looking through the plus side like the normal agencies in Sydney and the curve model categories the curve models are still majority white, white. yeah or yeah. white passing white passing yeah yeah yep um, I would just encourage anybody if you've been thinking about it apply for the agencies if you are a little bit like apprehensive because you don't know how to apply message me I'll help you um, there are plenty of other models too who will help you if it's not the right fit. But we can't change this until we have more representation, you know. I've been around for 11 years now in the fashion industry. Probably feels like that nagging girlfriend who's just like, <laughs> can we please just change just now? More. I'm like so exhausted. Um, the more voices, the more unity we have. And also like stakeholders, um, i.e. customers, if you're buying any clothing, if you can, if you're listening to somebody who's a public figure saying, "Hey, look, let's withhold our money from this brand for three days 
um, while we ask them to amend how they've been showcasing plus size bodies. Yeah. There's huge power in that. Our buying power is everything to be able to create and instigate change in a really positive way. Because there's so many Pacifica women I know and Pacifica men, I'm not going to call you out on the podcast, (laughs) that I always say, I need your Vogue September issue because you would be so great as a model and they're always like don't believe in themselves or anything and obviously I have no experience in modeling on my background is corporate finance but (laughs) I'm an enthusiast since my mom gave me a Vogue subscription in year seven 2002 so that's the energy that we're going with here but there's so many creatives that I see even just in Sydney alone that in that I'm part of the community now since we created the podcast and they do the both they are the models they are the creative directors and the photographers and I'm just like oh my gosh an agency just for us would just be like chef's kiss or something I think too there's like there's so much talent yes out west like yes um (laughs) I mean I say out west because I've like I don't belong to Sydney. I've lived in Sydney, but mm. I don't belong here. I belong to Darwin, um, and I've lived everywhere in Sydney. <laughs> everywhere you could imagine. I lived in Cronulla. I lived in Glenfield. I lived in Olympic Park, and I've lived in um, Blacktown. And then I jumped into like Inner West Newtown, and I'm currently in Kings Cross. So I've been everywhere. Well, that is actually everywhere. <laughs> it's like very southwest, Greater West, Inner yeah. West. Yeah. But there is like, there's so much talent out here. And this is also like a partial part that the Australian fashion industry has to come up. We've seen um, Black and Fashion Council, which came from the CFDA, which is in America. They're the huge Mm. um, fashion council. We also need the Australian Fashion Council. Yeah. Which exists, by the way. I only just found out because I haven't really heard of them too much before. Um, They need to be supporting at least if I can say First Nations designers, they should be doing the same way Black and Fashion Council does it. Yeah. But there also needs to be support with like, I know a lot of designers or models or um, creatives who feel the need to have to go inner city or east city to be recognised because that's the area. And it shouldn't be like that. You should have the thing because, you know, there's a difference between style and drip. Yeah. For sure. Oh, 100%. I think my friend... Like Karl Lagerfeld, not that he was my friend, but I wish he was. But <laughs> he said something along the lines, I remember him saying like one of his famous quotes was along the lines of basically just because someone has money doesn't mean they're fashionable. Oh, true. And doesn't mean they have style. He's like, you literally can go to a rural French village and the women there will dress better than the women in the streets of Paris. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think people, I think people assume when people buy designer or anything like that, um, even though I'm a designer fan, <laughs> but you know, my accessories are sometimes designer, but literally I'm literally discounted fashion. Like I will get bargains. It's not about buying the most expensive things. And yeah. and I think also there's so much culture in Western Sydney that we definitely, I've always, I email Nike like every year and I tell them, I said, you need to do a Western Sydney collection be- for TNs. Oh because girl, we I can hook you up with a Nike contact. Because seriously, we... I said that if we had a collection based on Western Sydney for Nike TNs, it would make Nike so much money they wouldn't even know what to do. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Nike contact. This I'm is like, what <laughs> this is what I mean about consultation. If you consult correctly, the profitability in um, repre- you know rep- not representation it is representation, but also reputation um, is significant. It, yeah. it will honestly not just change the brand, but it will change lives and. 
having a brand that does that only creates more possibilities for further people to be interested in that and to uplift and bring other people in. But yeah, I'll, I got a contact for Nike. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, because seriously, it's been years. I literally am sponsored by Nike. I buy so much Nike. Like if I could, <laughs> if I didn't have to wear corporate wear to work, I would just wear Nike in my everyday clothes. And I'm thankful that they have plus size, like the last few years with their plus size line, because shout out. God love Nike. Well, remember when that came out, there was even huge controversy around that. Because they didn't do the sizing properly. They were just... Oh, but there was like big things too because Nike put plus size, um, you know, the in-store models that like the physical things that you see clothes on i'm yeah. forgetting you know what mannequins mannequins. The mannequins yeah <laughs> they put plus size mannequins in there and people were in outroar and it's like hang on so you tell fat people that you want them to exercise yet when we're given this plus size gear to buy to exercise it's it's a shit show <laughs> so uh, under what pretenses are you making your argument here because it doesn't make any sense yeah that was a huge thing as well that exploded in at least in england i don't oh. know if it was coming out here yeah, I don't think it did, but I think they they started to. I heard like there was issues initially with the sizing, mm-hmm. and then now it's corrected because it, the sizing is pretty accurate now. Because they just yep. oh no, every big yeah. oversize everything. But seriously, Nike. Every time I message you, you never reply to me for Nike TNs Western <laughs> Sydney collection. Do you know how many people in Western Sydney rock TNs? Like, but this is how we can increase in Australia. You know, yeah. it's by not only primarily having more focus on representation. Um, integrating more internal and external teams. Um, but it's about collaborating and collaborating with um, people that you can support, support micro-influencers as well. Like people yeah. underestimate micro-influencers. They have a connection to their audience that people with a million followers just don't have. Um, yeah. And through that collaboration, you know, let's build up Australian designers and artists and creatives. And at the same time, like this is why I say consultation is so important um, to avoid cultural appropriation yeah. in that moment or, yeah. uh, like, creative theft. Because that's the a, that's a thing, even with, like, all the street fashion, like, all Nike and Tans and, like, Tans are, like, I, I'm not too sure what it's like in Darwin, but Tans is, like, was pretty much is a very Western Sydney thing. So in the 90s... I don't even know what you're referencing. That's yeah. how much I'm from <laughs> Darwin. <laughs> They're like, oh, Talitha's talking about fucking Tans again on the podcast <laughs> and her bloody Tan collection. It's these shoes, like these Nike Tans. Oh, like yes, one. yes. Like I think in America they call them MX Plus. And yeah, in America they call them MX Plus. And they always have like, you can't customize them on the Nike store, which I've told them you should customize. Because you know how many Westies would customize their Tans without paying like a lot of money for it, like heaps of money. But it's such a, it's like a Western Sydney thing. Like you bet you wear it to raves. You wear it like it's, it's like a very cultural iconic piece of like mm. Western Sydney that everyone pretty much has Tans. They're only licensed to Foot Locker, so that's why the Foot Lockers in the West are like very big and everything. And yeah, I've always thought I'm like it'd be really cool to just see a Western Sydney TN campaign. Yeah, that's just based in Western Sydney, shot by like a Western Sydney photographer, and has like a creative directors from Western Sydney and just like everything Western Sydney because it would just be so much. Now someone's going to steal my idea that I'm saying that. I hope not. <laughs> You'll see my lawyers. I don't have any lawyers, but like something along those lines, because it was, it's such a significant part of like the area. Like, yeah. And like, I always like think of stuff like that, but I think that's all of us that we're just like, Oh, we yeah. think of it. And then we just don't know the direction to go. That's how we break. But this is how you break mm. down barriers that are currently in our place by like having these things. Um, I mean, if you, if anybody listening, like if I can ever impart, 
knowledge that I've learned from like doing my own creative directions and having yeah. those um, in fantastic platforms like Harper's Bazaar overseas. Yeah. If you have a question, by all means, like always message me. I might not get to you straight away, but I will get to you. Um, I don't also have the solutions to every single question, but sometimes but you're there. That's having counts. an outreach is yeah. like bouncing an idea off somebody. Um, so by all means, always reach out to me and create your own stuff, create as much content as you can and truly like submit. I think a lot of people don't realize that they can submit their own creative ideas to Vogue, to Harper's Bazaar. I never knew that actually. Mm -hmm. You can do it to any of the magazines really. You might not get a response, but But you can try. You can sure as hell try. One of my biggest mottos is don't ask, don't get. If you don't ask, you will not receive. Um, And I also feel like the more you ask, the more the universe like conspires to helping you achieve that goal. Um, And on top of that, like you can always ask other models as well. If if it's a model question that you're asking, um, just reach out to people. I think we get a bit worried about like someone's responses, but I think a lot of people actually want to help a lot more than we assume that they will. That's what I felt with our community. Definitely. I always felt isolated from the Pacifica community because I didn't really keep in touch with it until we started the podcast, but there's so many resources and there's so many people that want to help Mm. in our community. And it's just funny, just assuming the worst. So it's good to, especially Instagram, thankful for Instagram for like bringing that out. And yeah, thank you for, thank you for coming here today for (laughs) your interview. It's very late now. (laughs) And, um, but thank you, Mahalia from Australia. No worries. And all the links that you've mentioned, we'll include that on our link tree just for anyone. Um, It was really great talking to you and getting into perspective on so many things that I feel are very important to the Pacifica community and especially to Pacifica women. And so thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having (laughs) me. Thanks for creating this show. Oh, <laughs> I know I ha- I like went on about it before, so we not <laughs> too much now. But it really is um, important to be able to have voices that you can recognize that aren't politically correct or um, conservative. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear people swear, and I want like you guys don't have a barrier of how you talk about things, and that's pretty much like me too. I have like word vomit sometimes, and I just I feel I, I so relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's when like. The truth sits in that and that's yeah. how we like that's how you reach out to somebody and like you connect with them. Yeah. Definitely. And that's important, like especially now when with the social age that we live in. Yeah. Um connection and coming through COVID, like that social that connection means <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And hearing more. Being able to have this, not just with like the conversation that you and Cribs have. Yeah. I know you bring on other speakers as well. So Thank important. You. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much. If the universe would only listen to decrease the Chanel bag prices <laughs> for a simple girl from Western Sydney. But, you know, we're just going to put that out in the universe. You need to play the lost numbers on your lotto card. And I lost the TV show. Oh, no. No. We'll talk about this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, yes, thank you so much for being our April guest. And it was so great having you so happy to talk about one of my favorite things, fashion. <laughs> and shout out if um, Louis Vuitton want to s- wants to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, shout out if uh, Vogue or anything like that you Please. want to come on and um, just sh- 
rattle all your shit up and September issue. Just, I'm just asking. I'm just asking for like Pacifica on a September issue cover. <laughs> just a little, just just me, a little, not me, but someone. <laughs> but yes, thank you. Have a good April, everyone, and we'll see you in May. See you in May. Talitha here with more information on Patreon. 2BG listeners now have the opportunity to support what we do through different tiers of membership for as little as $1 a month, which gains you access to some great perks, including early release of episodes, Patreon exclusives, bonus episodes, and more. This would help us grow and bring our podcast to you on a bigger scale. Find out more and sign up today at patreon.com forward slash 2brownishgirls. Thank you for listening to Two Brownish Girls. Two Brownish Girls is made by me, Talitha Chmantula, and Cribs. New episodes are posted on the 15th of every month, with some bonus episodes in between. Original music by Choice Vaughan. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at Two Brownish Girls. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.